Hi, everybody. This is Dan Sullivan, and it's a great pleasure to welcome you to this episode of Exponential Wisdom. And I'm here with what, for me, is the world's most advanced technological scout, mapmaker, um, general contextualizer of things technological, especially as the technology produces exponential teamwork and results. So, Peter, we're in the midst of lots and lots of exponentials right now. We are. We're at a time where the speed at which technology is accelerating is itself accelerating. Mm -hmm. And there's something going on right now that's been accelerating us to warp speed, so to speak. I think that's our conversation today. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. There's a lot of historical examples that you showed that when there's a big challenge, it kind of defies boundaries between fields of expertise. And all of a sudden, you start getting crossover teamwork and collaboration and innovation. And the innovations are all pointed towards the solution to a particular problem. But the solutions have the mind of their own, and they kind of link up and they do all sorts of things that weren't intended. But they wouldn't have happened if there hadn't been a major focused effort to kind of solve a big problem. Yeah, I mean, so just to define it and speak it, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and we tend to look over time and realize that a lot of the greatest periods of progress occur during the most difficult times, Yeah, whether it is, you know, the Black Plague, or whether it is the Soviet missile crisis, or whether it is now, it's interesting, right? And the question is, why does that happen? And I think when faced with sort of an overwhelming threat, people put their egos aside, they put aside their differences, and they focus on how do you solve the impending issue that's much bigger than all the other petty issues that you worried about. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting because I'm in probably three times the amount of contact with my entrepreneurial clients in strategic coach because we do a lot of short sessions, which we can do now because everybody's using virtual conferencing of one kind or another. So we've broken it down. We have a new virtual program, which instead of eight hours every three months, we have four hours every two months, and then they can take part in even smaller two-hour connectors. I said, how many of you, I mean, you're in circumstances where people around you might be really scared, they might be really depressed, they might be unhappy, but you yourself, just looking at yourself as an entrepreneur, how many of you, this has been an extraordinarily exciting and motivating period? And they look around and they put up <laughs> Almost <laughs> with put, guilt. Yeah, yeah, with their hands and say, you know, you're not going to film this and send it out to anybody, are you? <laughs> I said, well, absolutely we are. Of course we are. <laughs> well, first of all, I think it's a bit of an adrenaline hit, and we know that adrenaline is a high-powered drug in our system. But I think that you can be a hero during crisis times in a way that you can't be during normal comfortable, convenient times. So I think the notion of really being useful in an unusual way to other people right now is highly appealing, especially for entrepreneurs, because being useful out of the normal employment stream is what an entrepreneur is. So I think this gives them extra zest. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I'm clear shouting this from the rooftops to 
all of my Abundance 360 members, it's like if you're coming out of the crisis the same way you went in, if you're waiting for things to go back to the way they were, you're missing a massive opportunity to reinvent yourself. Yeah. And frankly, if you're not reinventing yourself, your competitors are, and you should be using this as an excuse to kill projects that you should have killed a while ago, to let go of some people, hire other people, and think about how do you reinvent what you do to create the best value you can for the people you care about, because that value creation is going to reward you down the line. Yeah. I had a question about this as we were putting together our thoughts for the podcast today. I'm a pretty informed civilian, if you want. You know, in other words, uh, I've got about 10 to 15 different news sources, and usually these are article writing sources on the internet, and I read the story. But you're much closer to the front lines, what you do and where you are. If you would just give everybody on exponential wisdom a sense of what's unusual about the front lines of high technology and scientific collaboration in November of 2020 that were not true 12 months ago, what would you say if you had to pick two or three things that you've noticed or people have talked to you about? So, I mean, it varies by industry, of course, but what we're seeing is a massive increase in the speed of conversation. And so meetings that would have taken days to have set up and met in person are happening in minutes and occurring in that same day. So there's a increased velocity Mm -hmm. in deal-making that's extraordinary. Those in the financial world are also seeing an increased velocity in the flow of capital. And that's coming in the form of these things called special purpose acquisition corporations, SPACs, Mm -hmm. where people are raising money and parking it as a public shell and then merging with an operating company. So we're seeing the amount of capital going into the public markets through SPACs, extraordinary. And at the same time, the speed at which startups are getting access to capital is faster than before. So all of these, and I had written about it back in January, but didn't expect it to be this fast, the speed at which technology is progressing. And when you think about it, technology is a function of sort of three things. It's a function of collaborative conversations between individuals. It's a function of capital being focused on a problem. And it's a function of the latest technology being used to move forward that. It's mind, matter, and money. (laughs) Okay, those are three M's. And they're all speeding up. Mm -hmm. So it's extraordinary. And it's palpably there Mm -hmm. more than ever before. You know, I remember when I started in January at A360, I do a scan every year of what happened 100 years ago. Dan, I think you remember when I scanned the year 1920 for innovations, I found four right? The first public radio station, the first handheld hairdryer, the Band-Aid came out, and the three-lens traffic light. But that was it. We searched every place. Mm -hmm. And today, there's probably four of those levels of innovations every microsecond. (laughs) So things are speeding up, and your ability to find and solve a problem is greater than ever before. Yeah. I had an example yesterday. I had... uh kind of a group that has formed because they were multiple buyers of my book that just came out in October 20th. And 
you know, you want to pump the sales up really well. Who not how. Who not how, yeah. So, you know, part of the marketing strategy for books is to get a fast, out-of-the-gate experience, and we've done very well. But yesterday I had 32 buyers of 50 or more books, and these have to be hard copy books, not e-books, but hard copy books. One of them was an engineer, and she's been in the program for a long time, and she's a rocket scientist from Huntsville, Alabama, a private company, but they do contract work for all sorts of different aspects that have to do with rockets. A lot of them are military rockets. So she was reading the book, Who Not How, and she got a phone call from a government official in Washington say, would you be interested in a contract for, you know, this? And would that be something that you could respond to very, very quickly? And she said, absolutely, I could, knowing that she could only do half of what was being asked for. He says, I have to get something and I'll be right on. And she looked up on the internet, people who handle government contracts. Some of it was administrative requirements for the contract and she didn't have. So she phoned up and she had the person on the other line and say, I've got the possibility. It's, you know, a multiple millions of dollar contract. And she said, we can do this amount. Do you have the facility? And they said, we'll project manage the whole thing. We'll do all the writing of the contract. We'll do all the bidding and everything else. We'd be happy to do it. And they named their terms. And by the time the government official came back on the phone, she said she'd do the contract because the nature of their work is they have to really scramble to develop capabilities. But here she didn't have to develop the capability. It was a who that she just brought in. And they would actually take project control. They would do the administrative of the project and they would fulfill all the administrative requirements. And I was sitting there and I said, oh, boy, that's really Really, really interesting. I mean, we were putting a concept of who, not how together with exponential technology. We're living in a world where whatever resources you need, they are a click away. The experts are there and you can put together your teams. And it's important for you to know what you're good at and what you enjoy, and then find the who, as you say, to do the other elements. So right now we're in the process of accelerated progress from this pandemic, we've got Project Warp Speed in D.C. having funded numerous vaccine developments. You know, the other moonshots in the past, obviously, the Apollo program launched on May 25th of 1961 by JFK in his famous speech that got us to the moon by the end of the decade. You know, you're an incredible student of history. I mean, has it always been this way that, you know, a crisis drives I mean, we've had, what are the other programs? I guess Manhattan Project? Yeah, well, the Manhattan Project, that went from, you know, a letter to the president in 1938 by Einstein to the bomb in seven years. And it was the equivalent of about, in today's dollars, to be about 20 billion, 20 billion, the whole project. Uh, at the height of the bomb, there were 300,000 people working on it. Situations were different in those days, Peter, when Roosevelt died in May of 45, and Truman took over. The day after he was sworn in, the Secretary of War came to him, and he said, Mr. President, there's something I have to tell you. And up until that moment, the Vice President of the United States did not know about the Manhattan Project. Wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. Talk about secret. The Apollo yeah. Project had 400,000 people working on it. Yeah. 
But what's fascinating is I think the ability to do big things is happening now with many smaller populations of individuals. Yeah. Here's the thing. There's going to be the breakthroughs. I mean, there will be the actual vaccines will be created. But how much of it would you say the breakthrough is going to be just as much on the operational standpoint of just how scientists and innovators and engineers talk to each other on a continual basis? And that won't go back to pre-crises. Once you develop a capability, you don't go backwards to less of a capability. 100%, you're right. But it's also people's expectations of what you can do in a short period of time just got bent right? So it's like, come on, it's not going to take that long. You did this and this and this, right? So I know personally, I got a call from Lou and Maymay, who are my partners in one company mm-hmm. back in March of this year saying, Peter, we think we could stand up a vaccine. And we went from nothing to starting the company, capitalizing it and having 30 vaccine candidates developed in under a month. And then getting to, we're now finishing up and entering phase two, three next month, at the end of the year here, and I'm blown away, right? And so it's your concept, Dan, of living in the gap is an important part of what's going on, right? So to remind everybody what this means is if you're comparing yourself today against your ideal vision of the future, you're comparing yourself against infinity, you're going to be living in the gap, comparing yourself to where you started and where you are today. So I'm blown away, you know, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, you know, in nine months where we've gotten to, it's insane. Yeah. So what's your sense of the, I call them strategic byproducts, and it's a Buckminster Fuller idea. And he said, if you want to know the real value of something, go at a 90 degree right angle to your purpose. And you'll notice that you're creating all sorts of things off to the side. So what do you think are other medical breakthroughs that are occurring simply because they had the mission of one essential medical breakthrough, but there's going to be a lot of medical breakthroughs? Well, it's changing regulatory frameworks. It's changing the internationalization, right? So it used to be that, I'll give you an example here, our COVID-19 vaccine company would normally have gone through the process of going through the testing in the United States and all of that. But there's a regulatory geographic arbitrage that's available. So we're running parallel human trials in Taiwan, Brazil, India, and then the U.S. And any one of them, you know, because humans are humans are humans, our DNA is basically all the same. If it works in Taiwan or Brazil, it's going to work here in the United States or Canada. And so ultimately, this ability that we're living in a global environment, a level of collaboration is off the charts. Yeah. And of course, you have a deep interest in this because of the XPRIZE. So is that being influenced this year by things outside of XPRIZE? In other words, the speed of things, the speeding up, uh, people are interested in breakthrough ideas simply because it's the general atmosphere right now? Yeah, I think, you know, probably there's, if you look at the referenceability of the word moonshot, it's probably accelerated. People are taking many more moonshots. We've launched a whole slew of X prizes around the pandemic. A mask X prize that Mark Benioff and Jim Cramer funded to reinvent the next generation of masks. A rapid testing X prize, and there's two or three other X prizes in development. And just the notion that teams can form 
mm-hmm. and go after something and can leverage technology very rapidly and do testing very rapidly. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, one of the things, and this is just an observation of kind of straddling two countries. We've been locked down in Canada since March 13th. So Babs and I, you know, we've done it. And the company went virtual in three days and the program went virtual in 10 days. But the thing about it is that this is kind of like an ER atmosphere with the pandemic. I was talking once to a surgeon here in Canada who was getting offers from the United States. And he says, everybody talks about the difference between the two healthcare systems, but he said, it's a fundamental difference of mindset, of national mindset. He said that Canada has kind of like a 80% good attitude towards medical provision. You know, the Canadian system applies to everybody and it's all paid for, but it's good for 80% of what ails you. And he said, the reason why Canada can do that because anybody with money can handle the 20% south of the border. So he said, we actually have two systems. We have the 80% system that we can do, and then we have the 20% system on the other side of the border. And he said, the fundamental reason is, he says, Americans love emergencies. He says, you have to understand, in Canada, we hate emergencies, (laughs) emergencies. But he says, Americans really love, he says, I've been down there, and he said, it's an ER mentality. He says the entire country has an ER mentality. And he said, there's nothing like a life and death situation. And to get your adrenaline going and wake you up and make you feel important. He said, but they're terrible at preventive care. He says, they're terrible at ordinary checkups. He says, it's a system that gets bored with ordinary, but just loves, loves emergency. Hmm. And he's been invited, you know, to probably 10 times the salary and 10 times the support to go to a big U.S. center. And he said, I don't think my nervous system can take that culture. Hmm. Yeah. And you have that. I mean, the moment I spotted you, I mean, the really unique ones really have a chip missing and you've got a chip missing. Yeah, I've got a couple. I'm a moonshot junkie. It's like, it's the craziest, biggest things I can do. And, you know, when we talk about never letting a good crisis go to waste, I think that applies at every level. So it applies at a national level, Mm -hmm. like for unifying a country, unifying its industrial base, unifying an industry. I think it applies for a company that it's like a make or break. We're either going to come out of this reinvented stronger or we're going to die trying. I think it may apply at a personal level as well. Oh, yeah, totally. In a marriage, in a family And I think part of it is becoming cognizant of the fact that in this crisis, we have two outcomes. What do you want in setting yourself on the outcome of coming out stronger and envisioning what that is? Because the energy from the crisis fuels you to go beyond yourself and puts the ego aside. Well, I think it's kind of like a front burner, back burner type of situation, And it applies on all the levels, the national level, the organizational level. But, you know, Strategic Coach deals with entrepreneurs as their role in a enterprise, but it's also their role in their private life. And we try to connect both of them and make them 360 degree resonant with each other and compatible with each other. And my sense is that if they've had a good situation before, it gets better. If they've had a bad situation before, 
it gets exposed, mm-hmm. you know, in the situation. And that's what I've really seen. It's the same thing. I'm very interested in what the impact of virtual conferencing is, because my sense is that it's really enabling, and I'll just talk about the entrepreneurial world here. I think it's enabling companies who are basically collaborative in mindset. And this gives them just a chance to collaborate in a way they've never been able to collaborate. But I think if you're totally about competition with other people, I don't think this is doing you any good at all. I think that virtual conferencing magnifies whatever you are. I can see that. And I think the crisis generally magnifies who you are. I had a situation in about a two-minute period on the street in Toronto. I met a former client who was just devastated, and he said, I don't know what we're going to do and everything. And then I walk into a supermarket, and there's an 18-year-old there on cash. There were signs on the supermarket, we're hiring staff. And he said, you know, I come down here, and he said, I don't really need the job. He said, I just like coming down here and being part of a team that's doing something really important right now. And I said, two individuals, two minutes apart, totally different attitude. Yep. And what you do during a crisis, it's a choice. Ultimately, it's a mindset, right? And uh, yep. you know, this year, I'm heads down on mindsets for Abundance 360, and a sort of abundance, exponential, moonshot, longevity mindset. But it is all about a mindset. And as entrepreneurs, our job is to hone our mindsets. And during a crisis, man, oh, man, you can do extraordinarily well during a crisis mm-hmm. if you're focused. You know, I've been through, from a financial standpoint, since we started in the early 1970s, I've been through six where there was a drop. And I've learned two things with it. Your job as the entrepreneurial leader every day is you keep everybody's confidence up, whatever it takes to get people's. Because people can do a lot when they're confident, and they may be very skilled, but not confident, and they can't do anything Plus, they get separated, they get isolated, so teamwork really disappears. But the other thing is, come out of the crisis with the team that you went in with. In other words, maintain your organizational strength while you're in, because half your competition didn't even get out of bed during the crisis, (laughs) and the other half, only half of them got out of bed sober. So I said, you just make incredible market gains just by maintaining the strength that you had and you're confident going in. And if you look at corporate, I took a look at the Great Depression, you know, which of course was the biggest, longest hit economically, you know, certainly the last 200 years. And all the big players in the 1940s and 1950s, they made their principal gains during the Great Depression. They suddenly became stronger in the market. They became more innovative and everything else. You know, I mean, Warren Buffett says you don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's true of organizations and it's true of individuals, too. You don't know who's been faking it until there's a crisis. We've seen amazing progress on the tech companies, right? Microsoft and Google and Amazon. I'm really excited. I'll mention to you, one of my moonshot speakers on our third day of A36 this year is going to be Jeff Wilkie. Jeff is the CEO of Amazon International. So he oversees all of Amazon other than AWS. Talking about real moonshots there and his moonshot Mm -hmm. of reinventing manufacturing. So 
It's an amazing, amazing opportunity to be this. And I think it really is about confidence and clarity during this time as a leader, as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll see you on our next episode. Thank you, Peter. Take care.